Hello, everyone, and welcome to Disrupt TV. My name is Vala Afshar, Chief Digital Evangelist at Salesforce, but more importantly, the co-host for the next hour. We welcome you to follow us on Twitter at Disrupt TV Show. Send Ray, myself, and our distinguished guests your questions using hashtag Disrupt TV, and we'll do our best to answer them during the live broadcast. Uh, it is my pleasure to introduce my co-host, Ray Wong. He's the founder CEO of Constellation Research. He's the best-selling author of Disrupting Digital Business and a regular contributor to Harvard Business Review, Forbes, ZDNet, and in my humble opinion, one of the best futurists to follow on Twitter, at R-W-A-N-G-0. Welcome, Ray, to Disrupt TV. Hey, thanks a lot, Vala. Another exciting Friday. I'm excited here to be with my co-host, uh, Vala Afshar, and as you all know, one of the, chi the chief evangelist at Salesforce, but more importantly, one of the top CIO follows, one of the top CMO follows, and of course, a prolific author on Huffington Post with most of what's hot in enterprise. You can follow Vala and of course, his awesome Twitter feed. So Vala, this is an interesting show. Who do we have to start with here? Uh, it's our pleasure and our honor to have Chuck Ganapathy, the founder and CEO of Tact, as our first guest. Tact's a company on a mission to make enterprise software more human friendly. TAC transforms the seller experience for Fortune 500 companies like GE and Cisco and Kelly Services by turning a salesperson's connected device into uh, AI-powered smart assistant. How cool is that? We'll talk about that. Chuck has 18 years of CRM experience and was the senior vice president of products at Salesforce where he led some of the largest product development efforts in the company's history, including the flagship sales cloud, chatter, and mobile products. In addition, Chuck served as GM and uh, developed CRM products at Oracle and Siebel Systems, helping the company transition from client-server platform to the web. He's an awesome follow on Twitter, at Chuck Ganapathy, C-H-U-C-K-G-A-N-A-P-A-T-H-I. Welcome, Chuck, to Disrupt TV. Thanks, Vala, I appreciate it. Hey, Chuck, excellent to have you here. And you guys are doing some very interesting things at TAC. And some of this is as what you kind of describe as systems of augmentation. And in the past, we've talked about systems of engagement, systems of experience. And as we head into this augmentation, tell us a little bit what you mean by systems of augmentation and how is that changing the way we look at work, experiences, and other interactions? Yeah, Ray, thanks for, uh, thanks for that question. So, if you think about uh, most of us, we're lucky enough uh, uh, to see one solar eclipse in our lifetimes. <laughs> and uh, you think about platform shifts that are happening. You know, if you're lucky, you're lucky if you see one platform shift. But what's amazing right now is there are two major shifts happening at the same time. One is with regard to edge devices or edge computing, where the fundamental nature of a computer is changing from this, you know, rectangular things with a keyboard and a mouse to everyday objects that are becoming computers. The second major shift is with AI. And that's changing how we fundamentally interact with computers, going from the typical windows, icons, menus, pointers metaphor to more of a metaphor that's about you know, using a touch screen on your car to get directions to where you're going, where the map comes back and alerts you if there's a, if there's a roadblock. Or think about using Facebook Messenger to communicate with your airline to get airline status. Uh, or if your flights change, you get notified, or if your credit card is being uh, fraudulently used, you get notified uh, through SMS. Or think about using Alexa and a Cortana at, at your home uh, or the Google device 
to play songs that you normally listen to on Spotify. So all of that fundamentally means that the way we're using computers is changing. And if you think about all of those examples, technology has gone from this thing that <clears throat> we use at a discrete point in time on the, on, you know, at your home, on a laptop or a desktop, to being, being pervasive in your day-to-day -day lives. And it's changing the way we interact with them, and it's fundamentally augmenting our day-to-day -day lives, almost giving us superhuman capability. You think about my four-and-a-half-year-old daughter. She can't read or write yet, uh, but she knows how to use her voice and ask Alexa to play, you know, let it go from Frozen, right? So that is now technology <laughs> giving us superhuman, superhuman capability. So that's kind of what we mean by systems of augmentation. And how many languages in Frozen as well? I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there's many versions of Frozen on YouTube. Yes, there are. <laughs> We, Ray, uh, Ray and I, a uh, couple of weeks ago, had the good fortune of talking to Walt Mossberg uh, in person. And we talked to him about his, I don't know if it's a word he coined, but, uh, you know, he talked about ambient computing. Yeah. And the fact that, you know, you will gain insights from objects and things all around you. And you're not tethered to a PC or a desk or a laptop or a tablet. And with, 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 with the combination of, of, uh, of artificial intelligence and Internet of Things and sensors and devices that are connected. Um, you recently talked about in terms of, you know, uh, the only way of being a successful company if you fundamentally do two things. You said, one, get salespeople to want to use technology, not be forced to. And two, build an architecture and technology vision that starts with the person and then works outwards from there as opposed to yeah. the technology and more specifically a database. And so yeah. this talks, this leans towards kind of digitization of workflow and being able to, in a frictionless way, deliver insights and perhaps use voice as the new UI. Can you talk a little bit about that? Absolutely. So uh, a lot of our customers, you know, GE, you mentioned a few, GE, Cisco, ABB, Medtronic, all of them are on this journey, and I'm sure you've seen this while, uh, while uh, as a part of Salesforce, is they're all thinking about what does digital transformation mean for my company? Mm -hmm. And typically most CIOs and digital officers start by thinking, how can I transform my experience with my customers? And how can I digitally transform my customer experience? But I always say digitally transforming a customer experience has to start with you first and how your own employees, who are the ones yeah. are interacting with customers on a day-to-day -day basis. What is their experience like? And how does that translate and permeate into the way they interact with their customers? So I think, I think you're right. Digital transformation is happening all over. And this shift that we talked about, uh, as, as uh, Walt called it, calls it ambient computing, or Peter Levine at um, uh, Andreessen Horowitz calls uh, edge computing, or Satya at Microsoft calls the intelligent edge, is this idea that now technology is with us all day long, is following us all day long as we go about our daily lives. And you think about the example that Peter Levine gives at, um, um, about edge computing. He says that you can think of your self-driving car. You know, this, we're all going to be driving self-driving cars very soon. You can think of that as a data center on wheels, right? And if you think about a self-driving car driving on, the, on, on, uh, um, you know, on El Camino Real, and there's a stop sign, and it takes a picture of an image of the stop sign. If it has to go all the way back to the cloud and try to try, you know, figure out that oh, that's a stop sign, um, the car is going to overrun it. So you have to make that decision. You have to use artificial intelligence at the edge 
to know that you're about to run a stop sign or run over a person and be able to control the systems, the control systems of the car right then and there. And that, I think, is where the change is happening. And to, to me, where that, what that means for a salesperson, which is what I, you know, our company is all about living and breathing uh, the lives of salespeople. If you think about salespeople, what we have, the technology that we've been giving them over the last 20 years, and I'm guilty of this because I worked at Siebel back in the day uh, and, and Salesforce more recently. If you think about most of the technology we give them, it still forms on a database. Right. Oh, yeah. The database is important. Don't get me wrong. Like you, the company needs to know who are my customers, who, who are my salespeople talking to, what's my pipeline look like. We need all of that information. But the user experience to the salesperson that has to uh, use this system hasn't changed in 20 years. Right. It's still the same forms on database. We're still treating our salespeople, who arguably are some of the most valuable employees of the company because they drive revenue, as data entry robots. Like that makes no sense to me whatsoever. So that's really where I think the opportunity is, where we can fundamentally change how these people do their jobs every day. So if you, if you could just imagine, just like you have Alexa, that's changed the way you control the systems in your house, whether it's your speakers, your TV, or your, your opening your door, uh, think about if you could have a digital assistant for a salesperson that's doing the things that a salesperson would want, anybody would want that, which is like, don't make me do you know, the, the manual data entry work, like updating my CRM, take away the grunt work, uh, tap me on my shoulder to tell me about insights, whether it's a customer that might be churning or a potential upsell opportunity, or remove the friction in how the deal team works together, you know, between my sales engineer and the marketer and all the other people that are helping me close the deal, including the legal people, remove friction in the way we talk and communicate with each other so we can get deals done faster. I think that's where the power is of, of, of taking that general change that's happening in our personal lives and applying it to a very specific domain like uh, sales. No, that makes a lot of sense. And one of the things that we've noticed as well, we, we just published something on when to automate with AI. Um, there are a couple of categories of things that just pop up, right? Um, how repetitive something is, how, what the volume of information is, uh, how complex it is, the time to completion, nodes of interaction, uh, creativity, physical presence. Um, how do you guys look at this? Like, what, what flows do you start with to say, hey, look, this might be an easier way to you know, augment humanity, do some augmentation, uh, and, and really change the way we look at digitalization of workflows? You know, I think we're at the start of a 10-year journey. And uh, anybody that tells you that AI is going to replace all of our jobs in the next five years doesn't know what they're talking about, right? So it's, it's, a, it's, it's, it's an eventuality that is for certain, but we're in very early stages of it. So don't worry about it if you've got retirement for the next five to 10 years. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so, but even then, where I think the biggest, biggest, uh, I, I honestly think that the biggest impact is going to be how AI helps us do our jobs. What I say, give us superhuman capability, right? And that's what we want. Uh, and, and I think that's what AI can do for us. But let's be realistic, right? We're early in this journey. Uh, uh, there are very few companies that truly understand AI. Everybody talks about it. There's a lot of hype around it. But these are some really hard problems and that have been around for 20 years. You know, I, I studied AI 25 years ago in graduate school, right? It's, been, it's, it's not a new field. Uh, what's different now is that we now have the compute infrastructure to make it, make it more scalable and, and repeatable. We have these devices that are you know, they have speakers, they have cameras, 
They have these sensors where AI can actually do something with it. So it's very easy to kind of think about the automation scenarios. I think, I think you're right. I think automation of manual repetitive tasks is, is a no-brainer, especially when it comes to manual repetitive tasks that involve me having to do the grunt work of, like I said, being a data entry robot to record, record information into a, into a system, right? Uh, whether it's a CRM system or uh, an ERP system to, uh, to, to input orders or an expense reporting system. I think those kinds of manual repetitive tasks where the, 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 there's a clear set of data that you're operating on. So you know these systems of record, what the form, what, what they look like, what the schemas are, and, and computers are very good at talking to other computers, right? So if you can create this AI that sits on top of these systems of record that have well-understood schemas, that have well-understood uh, uh, um, you know, uh, published APIs, they're yeah. fantastic at, at operating on top of that. But the second thing you need to complete that cycle is you have to create an AI that also can understand me, what I say as a human being. And I think that's where with natural language processing and with, with conversational platforms that can support multi-turn dialogues, that's very important. And that's, again, it's, it's, we're very early in that stage. And, and I think not enough is being talked about. You know, we, we hear a lot about prediction, you know, predicting outcomes of you know, which deal is going to close or which customer is an important customer trying to make smarter decisions than we can. I think that, that that's a great use case for AI, but I think the, the, the use case for AI that I get excited about because it helps a salesperson, helps, helps me as a professional every day is make the computer understand what I want, understand my intent, and go fulfill it. Sure, sure. I, we recently had a CEO of a Boston-based startup that's in the fundraising philanthropy space, and they're using machine learning to create uh, automatically create um, a very rich, context-rich, personalized emails that can be sent to donors, and there's a probability score in terms of which donors to contact in which order, and they're seeing 10x improvement in, in, in uh, acquisition, retention, and ultimately donations based on, again, using machine learning in the donation space. So pretty exciting space. It's also exciting to hear Andrew and Nick talk about Stanford, uh, what, 1,200 undergraduates signed up for machine learning classes. So I just spoke at my school, and you know, 20 years ago was my last grad school, and I think I was taking Fortran at the time. So pretty awesome that undergrads are taking machine learning. Can you think, can you expand on this conversational AI as the new UI, and what you foresee the positive impact in terms of improving sales productivity? Um, take us to a, a sales experience maybe three to five years from now. How is it different from today? You know, uh, I, uh, we, when we do this, when we work with our customers, we actually produce these videos that we call Day in the Life of a Seller. Mm -hmm. And we kind of reimagine for them, you know, here's what, here's what I do today and here's what it can look like with this kind of technology. And I, I don't think that's three to five years away. We, it's here now and we're, we're, we're making it happen for these very, very large customers. So I think that part of the technology we, we know how to do. Uh, and the science for that exists today. Uh, and so you think about typical day of a salesperson. It involves me talking to customers. And the only way a salesperson makes money is if I spend time in front of a customer, right? Not in front of my computer, not in front of my CRM system. 
And uh, uh, it, it's, it's all about how am I interacting with my customer. And I may be interacting with them you know, over email, that's fine. I may be inter- I may be calling them, but you're engaged, and, and but but you're engaging them. You know, it's, it's a, whether it's an in-person meeting or whatever. So if you think about that day in the life, what we expect most of our sales professionals to do is to go do your job, which is selling, which is interacting <laughs> with customers. But then at the end of the day, I got to go home. I got to tell my my spouse, hey, honey, I need another half an hour because I have to get into. You know my system of record, my company CRM system, and I've got to re-record all of those things that that have to happen. Well, that makes no sense. So I think there's a, there's a great opportunity to use conversational interfaces right in my day-to-day workflow, so I can capture those, that activity automatically. Two things you have to do to make that happen. Number one, this conversational AI has to have access to my context. Right, context is very important. Um, where am I? Who am I meeting? Uh, what is the history that we have with that customer? Uh, well, what is my location? And all of these are things that the AI can understand from existing sources of data. So whether it's your email conversations to know, okay, this is, this is the email history you have with the customer. Uh, looking at your calendar to know, oh, are you meeting with Bala at, uh, at Enterosis? Uh, looking at your LinkedIn profile to say, okay, Ray Wang worked at uh, this other company before, so you can have a warm conversation. Right. All of these systems already exist, but it's about using a conversational interface to bring all of that together and give it to me in a very consumable form at the time I need it. So you know, all the, there's, there's a ton of insights that companies generate. There's a ton of data that companies have about customers. The problem is it's too much information. It's information overload. What if you could just give me just what I need to know, the yeah. silver bullets about my customer, the competitor that I'm fighting, you know, the product capabilities that are most relevant to them, Give it to me as silver bullets right before I meet with the customer. That's far more valuable. And I think that drives a lot of productivity. Makes sense. Yeah, we, we call that AI as the new UX, one of the things that we've been talking about with clients. Yeah. We're here with Chuck Ganapathy, founder and CEO of TACT. TACT is one of the Constellation shortlist winners uh, this year for sales productivity. Um, thanks for being on the show. You can follow Chuck at Chuck Ganapathy um, and TACT underscore AI if you want to know more what's going on and changing the way sales is happening. So thanks a lot for being on the show. Chuck thanks, Ray. Thanks, Vala. Good talking thanks to you. Yeah, cool. Chuck, is, Chuck is super smart. And uh, I met him several years ago as he was doing his magic at Salesforce. So um, really, really bright CEO. And uh, uh, you know, definitely follow him on Twitter for great insights. So this is, uh, this is all about bringing super smart CEOs and learning from them. And our, our second guest um, is no exception. Will Hayes is CEO of Lucidworks. Uh, uh, Will became CEO of Lucidworks in 2014 and has over 15 years of product, marketing, and business development experience. Lucidworks delivers AI-powered search applications that allow customers to empower employees and improve business results. We're going to have Will tell us more about Lucidworks. Prior to Lucidworks, he was the head of technical business development at Splunk, where he was responsible for defining the company's uh, market category and key product feature set. He's another great follow on Twitter at I am Will Hayes. I love that. I am Will. <laughs> I A M W I L L H A Y E S. Welcome, Will, to Disrupt TV. Hi. <laughs> Thanks for uh, having me. This is awesome. awesome. Intro. Hey, thanks for being on the show. Um, you know, the stuff that you guys do there actually really improves how people interact. And um, you basically have a lot of things that you do really well. And so question is, 
you know, we, we, we always talk about this topic of enterprise search and we, we, we take it for granted, right? And, but what do people really want out of enterprise search? Companies, organizations, individuals, like what's, what's the main thing out of this? The, the, the great question. And, and I got to say, I mean, Chuck um, didn't steal my thunder. He just put, he served up the perfect setup for the way that we think about data and sort of the relationship of people and that. And I heard you, you know, you said that, uh, that UX, AI is the new UX. Um, you know, in our world, we actually think of, you know, data is the new UX and, you know, how we drive these experiences really comes from setting the context and sort of mapping the data and really the information behind the content to that user's intention. Um, you know, enterprise search, it's one of those terms that we, we absolutely hate. <laughs> um, and, you know, there, there's just no one sits that. back and says, you know, wow, my enterprise search deployment or project. But, you know, you said it, it's, it's incredibly important. Um, you know, what, what we like to look at is what, what is the, the goal within the organization? Because the organization's got all of the information and it's stored in a variety of different formats. And, you know, the, the age-old sort of big data cliche, it's getting faster, it's getting bigger. And, you know, these things are, are in fact happening. Um, what we try to look for is action. And how do we determine the most act piece of information for any given user. This could be a customer, this could be a prospect, this could be somebody you know, sitting behind a support desk trying to uh, resolve an issue and get to the next customer. And so there's a variety of techniques that we deploy uh, around understanding user's intent, processing user behavior, using lots of clustering and machine learning algorithms to really determine the importance of any bit of data um, or any bit of content for a given user. And I think that would be the next generation of enterprise search. And you know, people will call this cognitive. You've got you know, Gardner's definition of, of inside engines. Um, but to me, it's really about how do we deliver actionable information and you know, get away from this idea of, of 10 blue links, search box, and have it go to the third page of things that make sense. And you know, I hate to use the term, but to really sort of Amazonify those experiences within these enterprise applications. And if you think about, you know, the, just the evolution of users, particularly in Genetech, um, which is now a really long time ago, you know, I remember that if you were a senior director or somebody, you know, you had folks who would come in and print your calendar every morning. I mean, <laughs> you know, the, the need to interact with technology was so totally low. I miss those days, uh, man. My Franklin planner. Well, yeah. well, now, you know, I've got them other following on Twitter, right? And so <laughs> suddenly you, your, your average person is interacting with technology and these experiences in, in such a rich way that you get to work and you're wondering, wait a minute, you know, my Netflix and my Google and Facebook providing me with these very productive information or data experiences, yet I'm sitting here sifting through, you know, my corporate uh, information corpus. And so we're trying to really bridge that gap and, and leveraging a lot of the techniques that were talked about earlier. Uh, you know, if you think about search technology, text of Google and Amazon and the way that we, we've experienced it over the last decade, I mean, this is really the cutting edge in terms of that information processing as it relates to AI. And, you know, our bigger vision is that not only are we helping create productivity within these enterprise and retail applications, but we can ultimately serve as the smart data store that can go back and power all of these initiatives that are coming through Internet of Things and automation. And, you know, at the end of the day, you need to know which way to turn. And that's the kind. Sure. 
Well, when you, know, when you mentioned Amazon, or when I think of Netflix or Spotify or Amazon or any of these successful apps that are powered by AI and machine learning and this anticipatory capability of knowing what we need and recommending next steps, um, what excites you uh, in, in, in this space? Is, is, is it the, the velocity and the speed and direction in which we're heading we're, and we've experienced and, and, and what the future might, 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 might uh, be for folks in the enterprise that can now leverage search to really uh, guide them in the most optimal way of getting their job fast and satisfying their customers and having efficiency and all the goodness that we hope for when we begin that search journey. What, to me, and again, we, we take perspective of looking up. We're out here in the trenches trying to solve this data challenge and then seeing all the crazy, amazing things that our customers are doing and partners and folks that are out here in the valley and, and within the, the greater ecosystem. And we find that really exciting. I, I think for me, just being the data nerd I am, um, what, what I find most exciting about the world we're in now is the, the evolution of telemetry, telemetry data. There's so much that we can capture, whether it's, you know, about our employees' behavior, different offices that, you know, you heard Chuck earlier about your calendar and your email and all of this information that we can now process. And if you go outwards thinking about your consumer or your prospect and all of the signals that they're dropping and the way they browse your website and the way they get to you, the SEO, the interaction, the social media. And so from our perspective as, as data folks, you know, we're excited because we have so much more information that we can glean context from. And really that's how we start to set that productive path, right? Because we're able to start the process through machining and understand patterns that help us anticipate what a user's desire is or what a user's intention is at any given point in time. And then through relevancy rating and other weighting algorithms that we use, we take the intention and that's what we think is the most important piece of information for you. And I like that, that word, you know, Stephen Emmett from, from Gartner will talk about this word information because it's not data, it's not content that, that we care about, it's the information that I can actually do something with. Right. And so the more of the telemetry data that we collect, our customers are starting to really pay attention to, and we encourage them. Look at every mouse click, look at every log file, look at every badge swipe, because that signal data is what's going to really enhance the way that you leverage or gain insight from all of the information that you have within an app. Makes sense. Yeah. No, this makes a lot of sense. And, and what we're seeing is really this, this move from data to decisions, right? How do we take that data, get it to information flows, align those information flows, figure out patterns of insight and then take action on them. And one of the biggest drivers in helping to do that for whatever reason is voice, right? We talk about AI being the, the new UX getting you there. Um, you, know, at, you know, Alexa, please buy 20,000 copies of Disrupting Digital Business. Check out, right? Now, now I've just become a bestseller again. Now, anyways, sorry for all those folks who uh, echoes have just gone off. But my point being is that, you know, we, we now have a situation where we, we expect that kind of reaction. <laughs> you, just, you just figured it out, right? You, just, you get this kind of reaction. Um, how, why, why such a big push to voice, right? Why, why was that the piece, that last piece that got people to understand what this meant? Well, I think it, it's funny because we get a lot of questions about voice from our clients and we have support for various voice plugins and things. What I think about is, I mean, voice is just yet another input, right? Whether it's a swipe, whether it's an entry or it's a location that's going to trigger something. Um, what's more interesting to me in the context of voice is the natural language 
piece mm -hmm. of it. It's not necessarily that, you know, talking to a device, I mean, we've had speech to text and these things. It's the fact that I'm talking to like I'm talking to a person. For me, um, wanting to know what time is the Giants game, right? I mean, that's a very specific intention that I've set out to, you know, retrieve a very specific piece of information. And, and traditionally, you know, Giants schedule game determine which one looks the most interesting and engaged. Well, now, you know, the expectation has, has shifted towards answers. And so, you know, voice just being yet another paradigm, obviously, you know, I think people are just doing too much work in their car, frankly, and so they want to interact with <laughs> their hands for I know that, um, you know, for myself and, and trying to, like, I'm, I'm a big cook at home and, and, you know, the number of devices that I've ruined by having messy hands and all that kind of good stuff. Um, but, but again, I mean, ultimately, what, what you users are really getting after is more of a natural interaction with the data. And again, this goes back to classification, experimentation, capturing signal information and ranking those. The, the power, right? You're right. The power is not just the fact that it's an interface. The power is the NLP, the ontologies, Absolutely. breaking it down, right? Being able to figure out, you know, micro segments of intent or taking context and applying it to that conversation at that point in time. For you, it's a data trove, right? You're capturing, you're capturing insights and intent that you couldn't have captured before. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's the hard part, right? Everybody's walking up and they've got these great expectations. And I can't tell you the number of CEOs and CIOs that I talk to that they, you know, day one, let's get a chat bot, you know, and, and again, there are some very hey, look, manual. I saw the demo at a conference. Yeah, it looked great, right? Yeah. Um, I think there's more AI companies running on if-then statements than actual NLP and deep learning, but <laughs> that's a separate conversation. Um, but, you know, it's, it's, I always draw a continuum, right? That, that look, there's, there's an adoption continuum, and you can accelerate through investment, but there's a lot of training, there's a lot of feedback that goes into refining these systems. You know, Google's not just Google overnight. Um, we are all kind of to provide of signals and, and, you know, data points that they can continually experiment and refine with um, that gives us that experience. Um, you know, Enterprise or Fortune 1000 company, X, um, has a little bit of catch up to do before you can get to that same point. But that's why we encourage this idea of te telemetry data and what they can think about to kind of accelerate the, uh, the adoption and the success of those deployments. Sure. Well, when you look at your customer base, which line of business is most engaged and, and championing the optimization of search capabilities and, uh, and, and, and bringing that data-driven or information-driven mindset into the business? Is it marketing? Is it customer service and support? Is it sales? How active are CEOs in the conversation? You know, I, I, I want to better understand, you know, uh, who you connect with and why do you think it's the... Uh, What's the reason for that line of business, you know, championing the, bringing more intelligence into the enterprise? Great, great, great question. And, you know, it's interesting. I mean, we, we, we joke and we talked earlier about enterprise search. And again, you know, wherever there's enterprise search in a large company, there's somebody who's just had some really tough years behind them. And so they're just trying to keep the lights on. And, and obviously, you know, we have opportunities to come in and sort of accelerate that. But that's more of a, you know, a blocking and tackling. I think the folks that are looking forward, um, a lot of this is coming out of customer service, customer experience. Um, the customer service is, you know, one of those areas has two metrics that are incredibly important. The first one is just simply case deflection. Start to provide, we've got all this knowledge, we've got all this information. Um, you know, Service Cloud's been an interesting play for us because now we're tying into the CRMs and we're doing some really interesting 
but you know, the more that we can provide, again, that natural resolution to customers in a non-frustrating way, um, it's, it's better for the business, it's, it's a huge cost saver, so there's a, there's a true kind of revenue impact there. On the other side, though, customer, it's interesting, we work in a financial services institution within wealth management. And one of their competitive advantages is always going to be this, the technology and tools that they provide back to their wealth managers. Because if those folks leave, you know, that whole book of business is going to follow, right? And so they're heavily invested in honing those experiences and getting to more chatbot and next best action. And so, you know, as a, as a uh, member of, of this organization, I feel like I have the tools necessary to best serve my customers. So even those internal customers become more and more important. And I'll go back to my earlier point. Your expectations have risen so dramatically, you know? And so there's a reason why, you know, you come to a website that maybe doesn't do a lot of digital commerce and you're thinking like, what the heck? I can't find anything. This makes no sense. Where's the uh, accessories to go with this? Um, the same thing happens at work. I know the answer's there. Why am I having to jump through all these hoops? Why can't I simply just interact the way I would with some something like a Google, something like a Siri. And so that customer service just will understand the value. It's easy to get people behind it. I could do some really great things around enterprise search and make it cognitive and make it smart and people will go, wow, that's, that's really cool, but I've got two dozen other fires that I need to go fight. Um, and an obvious one, but you know, we serve some of the largest retailers in the world and you know, Retail has always been, I would say, on the cutting edge of data discovery. And I don't think they get enough credit for the innovation that's gone on and the ability to, you know, upsell, cross-sell, omni-channel market is coming from a true data science perspective that's been refined really for almost 15 years. Um, and so we, we take the lead from, you know, the people we see like Amazon and what they're able to do. And we try to bring those capabilities back into other, you know, smaller retail. And it's been it's been quite useful, and so in those two use cases, it's a no-brainer. Um, and then you've got the more visionary folks when it comes to their data that really see search as a way to intersect a wide variety of data sources, yeah. bring those sources back data then for analytics because you know at the end of the day that's rows and columns I can do my visualization I can do my analysis um, and so that requires a certain sophistication within an organization. We do see it and we see it increasing, um, but it's not as clear cut as when I can come in and say I can reduce call volume by 30%. I mean, everybody understands that metric and what that means. Right, right, right. And sorry, you mentioned industries. Um, so customer services support is the leading line of business within the enterprise. Which industry is, is leading this, this, this revolution of becoming smarter in terms of how they anticipate needs and deliver? So financial services, definitely always wanting to make smarter decisions, always wanting to provide, you know, better services. I think, you know, the churn rates that happen in, in areas like wealth management can, can be very impactful. And, and so, again, combating that with a customer experience is, is, is important. The other area where, where we see a lot more of this innovation happening is around telco and what they're trying to do, you know, shifts through digital, lots of acquisitions kind of coming together, lots of digital transformation happening. Um, and so the, for us, those are probably two of our highest performing verticals. Um, I treat retail a little bit separate because there the mission is, is slightly different. Um, and we have a special team that we deploy can 
interface on those deals, and they represent a, a significant amount of revenue for us. Um, but, but the financial services of the telco, where I can point to the most deployments and the rapid iteration and, you know, very lofty goals in terms of where they want to get their business to from a data digital one metric I like to use is you know for every 10 employees in a company we've got one system some of these telcos at 50 60 hundred thousand people um, are trying to manage a just abundance of data sources to be that much data but the fact that I've got it sitting in 500 different places through a half a dozen acquisitions and you know going into different uh, international theaters um, it, it creates a challenge and the need to leverage that information to stay competitive and to stay agile is, is critical. Makes sense. Wow, that makes, that's that's pretty crazy. So, hey, you've you've gone from you know this crazy open source search project from you know Lucene to Solar to now this fusion architecture that you guys are doing on the back end. Um, what? How do you? What would you look to? You know, in terms of leadership, in terms of building. You know, you're a CEO, and who who are your mentors? Like, who who's, who the folks do you look to to kind of guide you through? You know that transition, like you're open source, you're startup, you're moving to the next level. Uh, you know, who, who's some of your heroes? Let's, let's let's go with that. It's a great question. I, you know, it's funny. I, I I'm not what you would call an open source guy. Um, if you look at my background, no, you're not. I mean, I was totally I was not. yeah. <laughs> so I was I was sort of I was part of the founding team at Funk, which is a complete. Uh, you know, we're in the Maserati deal over here, um, dealing yep. with you know uh, software that's out there for free. And uh, so when I came to Lucid, you know, you had to earn some credibility. Luckily, I can still write code, and I know what I'm talking about. And so that's an easy way to kind of <laughs> warm into that community. Um, but the reality is that that I, I one, I'm just I'm such a just a fan of technology. I grew up here in the Bay Area in the East Bay uh, in Richmond, and, and and just have seen the transformation that has happened in the Bay Area and, and the things that have happened over over the last 30 years. Um, and so I always love things that are fast, things that are distributed, you know, solving these hard problems. And, and, and so, you know, Splunk definitely presented a challenge to go do that. This was 2005, right? There was no Lucene available. Oh, yeah. I mean, there were some early versions of things. And so coming to it, I mean, really what it was about to me was, hey, we've got, and this thing is the most scalable, the most battle-tested platform out there, but there's an opportunity to bring this level of intelligence to data. And these are really hard challenges and they're things that I have not seen done effectively outside of, you know, thin air, like places like Amazon or Google. And so when Grant, um, who's, who's, who's the co-founder here and I got together, it was really about this shared vision of, okay, how do we take all of this stuff we know how to do because we search experts for so long and let's create a product that can start to consume. And so that was sort of the transformation that, that we took the company through. And, you know, I mean, from a mentor perspective, I, I, I wish I could say I've, I've seen this done so, so many times before. Um, you know, there's people by great admire and had a chance to even meet at one point like Jim Whitehurst. Um, I was very fortunate at Splunk to join the company when we were less than 10 people, worked very closely with the founders, Eric Swan, Rob Doss, Michael Baum, who, you know, continued. To, to, to be provide guidance and support for me, uh, and then when Godfrey Sullivan came in as well, and so you know I think a lot of my network and, and, and a lot of my inspiration comes from outside of this ecosystem. Um, but really, you know, I think that's also what sort of helps because I bring a different perspective around software and around the market 
um, versus sort of the, you know, the Apache kind of perspective, which I've learned to really appreciate and just the community around that and the energy around that um, is great. And so marrying those two things I think is important. Um, you know, at another time, happy to talk. We have an entire methodology about how we think about community versus commercialization and maintaining a harmony there. Um, it's something that's really important to us uh, just as a culture. We, we really care. And, and so, um, yeah, no, we, we take it very seriously, but it's just been a ton of fun. And, and like I said, I mean, the thing I love to appreciate from Open Source is you've got all these folks that you share something with, whether they're on your team, in your company. Um, you know, I can go anywhere in the world. I can meet up with committers. We have this sort of shared passion, and uh, you just you don't find that anywhere else. That's awesome. Feeling the love. Will Hayes, CEO of Lucid Works. Twitter handle, follow him. I am Will Hayes. Appreciate it. You can follow him at Lucid Works. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thanks for sharing Thanks. your passion and, of course, your insights. Absolutely. You. Appreciate it. Thanks, Paula. Thanks. Wow. Looks like he's doing his job. Ray, that sounds like what? he loves what he's doing. So. Uh, yeah, I, I think he hates his job, actually. No, yeah. <laughs> you can feel the passion. It's amazing. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah, it's, it just comes to crew. Talking about passionate individuals, who do we have next? Uh, this is the you know this is the cleanup hitter spot. So we are very fortunate to have uh, returning guest uh, Ron Miller, who's the enterprise reporter at TechCrunch. He's been a technology journalist since 1998. He started when he was five. Um, <laughs> Ron is a contributing editor to eContent Magazine, where he writes the Media Rocks column. Uh, Ron launched and still runs the blog, SocialMediaNews.com. He loves being the last guest on Disrupt TV. Uh, he's an incredible follow on Twitter. Seriously, we only invite people that are good on Twitter at uh, Ron underscore Miller, M-I-L-L-E-R. And he's a future first ballot Hall of Fame inductee to Disrupt TV. So welcome, Ron. To, uh, um, I want to say one thing before we start with the questions. I'm glad I had my echo unplugged because otherwise I'd have a truckload of raised books coming. <laughs> Darn. <laughs> Darn. I keep trying this. You know. He does, he does, that, like, he does that every other show, and I think he's continuing to be a bestseller because of it. So. <laughs> don't tell don't tell anyone that secret. I don't want to tell my publicist that either. <laughs> the other thing is that you know, I, I was I was trying I, I told you I, I, I knew uh, the first guest, but I, I also I also knew Will. I, I and I just spoke to him a few weeks ago about they, they had done a uh, a big project with Reddit, you know, to do their search to read. Oh, yeah. And so I had just spoken to Will, I don't know, like a month ago, and I didn't put it together until uh, he started talking. But uh, yeah, no, there's, no, there's, I read about both those guys. So. There's no surprise that anyone that's doing anything in AI will eventually cross paths with you because Ray and I looked at your recent blogs, Ron. Let's see, Zoom brings AI and AR to meeting. Salesforce Ventures launches 50 million to find a fund encouraging AI development. Splunk expands machine learning. Google adds support with the media. Aptus is putting artificial intelligence to work. Mark yeah. Stockley, you, you, you are like the AI go-to guy for news. <laughs> well, I, know. It's, I know. It's one of those You're things not. that uh, is really hot, right? So I mean, you know, and what's great is this is not clickbait. This isn't like Experian meets NFL on the line of Taylor Swift on a new iPhone 8. You know, and it's, like, it's amazing. I mean, this is real stuff. What, so where do we want to go first? Where do you want to go first? Do you want to go with Zoom and AR? What, what, what's hot? What's going on right now? 
Well, I mean, the Zoom story was interesting. You know, Zoom's an interesting company anyway. It's we, a, we are thinking about moving to Zoom. If anyone Zoom's on there, like, listen up, because we're having lots of trouble with what we're using right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is what happens when you use it. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no offense, guys. <laughs> um, but, uh, but, but you know, Zoom is Zoom is sitting in a very competitive space. They 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 have blue jean. They have uh, go to meeting. Then they have uh, you know uh, Eric's former company, the CEO of Zoom, uh, WebEx. Uh, they have these guys. They have you know Google Teams and Face uh, Workplace by Facebook, all working and trying to be the meeting software. Right? It seems like there's a, it's a big space and there's a lot of room. But um, Zoom has been, you know, updating their, their product and they came out with some stuff this week that was pretty interesting. One was, as, as you say, um, adding artificial intelligence in, an, in, an, in, a, in a very uh, pronounced way to create the uh, transcripts from, from the meeting. So, you know, it identifies who the speaker is and then, I mean, I haven't seen it, so I don't know how well it works, but the, 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 the working theory is it identifies the, the speaker, it uh, you know, does a, a, a pretty good uh, you know, transcription, and then you have a transcription afterwards, and you don't have to have somebody who's assigned to do the meeting notes. So from that perspective, it's, it's, it's pretty cool, right? Um, I know I could use something like that sometimes when I'm on the phone, and you know, I'm just talking to somebody who speaks really quickly, and I'm taking my notes as fast as I can, and and I was like, geez, you know, wouldn't wouldn't it be great to put AI to work on this problem for journalists? Uh, and nobody's done it yet, but I'm 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 sure that there are going to be tools that come out sooner or later. And then the other thing that they did that's pretty cool is introducing um, you know virtual reality to the meeting experience. So it requires a uh, the the presenter be wearing a uh, I think it's from Meta, the company Meta uh, helmet. And then whatever the presenter is seeing in virtual reality, the uh, the, the participants see without any helmet. So um, it just requires the one piece of special equipment. And the use case that they were talking about was for uh, online courses. So a teacher could present something like, say, the Galaxy, and you know, be walking through, you know, the the, the Milky Way, and. The, the students would see that whatever the the teacher was seeing in in, vir in virtual reality. So a pretty cool use case. Uh, again, you know, I think these things are very much on the edge. Um, the fact that you know they went with just one manufacturer's helmet is because it was just like something to get going with. Sure. And, um, but I think we're going to see all of these guys, you know, start to uh, you know dabble in all of this stuff and see the you know the, the meeting experience um, get better and better online. Sure, sure. You know, yeah, because, of the show, because of the show, because of the Shrub TV, Ray and I have the good fortune of talking to a lot of startup founders, executives and public companies that are working on AI powered solutions. Uh, the Constellation Connect Enterprise plus Dreamforce alone will expose us to many, many more uh, leaders in this space. So. How do, how do folks that are really trailblazers when it comes to AI, how do they reach you, uh, Ron? Or how do you, what's your sorting algorithm in terms of making sense of right now, I think there's a 1950 startups in AI space that have fetched 23 billion in VC funding. Where, how do you decide your, you know, your, 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 your articles and conferences and who you're gonna meet when there's so much going on in this space? Ray and I, we just invite them to Disrupt TV and we get to meet them 
at different events. I want to know your algorithm, your sorting algorithm. Well, you know, the two guys you had on today, like I said, I, I, I've, yeah. I've interviewed them yeah. asked and whatever it was, their, you know, their, their public relations people, um, you know, pitched me and uh, they, they, were, uh, they were compelling enough uh, storylines, you know, product lines that uh, they, they caught my attention. And I can tell you that I get tons of, uh, you know, if you, if you want to know the process, I get tons of pitches every day. What do you look for? What do you look for specifically? Well, you know, I mean, I wish I could say that there was like one thing that I knew what sure. to look for, but I, I could tell you that like what you guys just came out with this, uh, this, this new artificial intelligence thing that sorts through salespeople's emails and, you know, like kind of brings stuff up to the surface. I, I wish I had something like that, you know, <laughs> but I have a, all I, I have, with that. <laughs> all I have is my own instinct. So, so, so what I do is, you know, I, I, I can't say definitively sure. what it is that that calls my attention, but uh, you know, there are certain things that automatically get filtered out for whatever reason. They're just not things that I'm interested in. I'm not. I'm not interested in. You know, unless it's like a rock star personnel changes, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not usually interested in, you know, studies that are vendor sponsored. Um, you know, if you're listening out there. <laughs> um, so, this is his new way of filtering his inbox. <laughs> so, I'm sending you these pictures, but don't have my name in it. <laughs> that's right. If it's if it says Ray sent me, then I'm, I'm I immediately open it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I made the cut. I made the cut. <laughs> Ron, you don't have to say that. We love you. We're always going to have you back on the show, so you don't have to say. <laughs> but you know, I mean, it's 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 like. I mean, it's not like everything that has the word AI in it is going to, you know, yeah. get my attention. But you know, there are certain things that I mean, Zoom wasn't just pitching me AI; they were pitching me that you know they had their first user conference, and this was a significant, the first significant update since their hundred million dollar funding yeah. um, earlier this year, which I had covered. Um, so, so that kind of was like, you know, it, it had that that kind of connection. Sure. And so, it depends, you know, like the, the app, this one I thought was particularly interesting. It was, it was adding uh, AI and machine learning to the legal process, the contract process, yeah. which is something that, you know, is ripe for disruption. Sure. Um, you know, so, it, so it's, it's something that, you know, when you look at it, it's not just like, because it's becoming like everybody is doing AI, you have to, right? Sure. Every startup that's gonna come out down the pike now is sure. gonna have artificial intelligence underpinnings. It's just, it's, it's like being in the cloud. It's it, right. it just is, right? Um, it's not it's not anything exciting or unusual. You're raising You're a great point, point that, that uh, AI, AI table stakes at the marketing level. But what gets your attention? Like, what gets your attention when someone says, "Hey, I have AI. Like, prove it." Like, what, what's the part <laughs> of it that says, "Here's what's interesting to you"? Well, I mean, I think it has to be something that I maybe <laughs> haven't seen before, or. Um, you know, attacking a problem that 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 I think needs to be attacked. So, so the so, use case. I, I saw a thing this morning, um, a, a blog post this morning on blockchain, and blockchain. The, the person's point was, blockchain is a solution. Now, what's the problem, right? <laughs> you know, and and I mean, I think you know, you have to have, you have to be attacking a problem that needs attacking, and not just throwing you know, throwing some sort of technology. At a uh, at a situation to to say you did you know right makes uh, makes sense yeah when they talk about AI use cases with you are you interested in for example with intersection of other emerging technologies like Internet of Things or or perhaps blockchain is it 
Is it, as you said, is it a profile of the folks that are developing the technology? I ask all of this because we do have a ton of startup founders that are reaching out to Ray and I wanting to share their story. And I think over time, Ray and I also have to find ways to refine how we invite guests because we're getting inundated with <laughs> folks oh, yeah. who want to share their story. And uh, unfortunately, we can only have three guests a week. Uh, so, so it's me, so that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> we're just going to read your blogs and go after the folks who profile. That's it. That's what we're going to do. <laughs> well, hey, hey, now here's the, here's the interesting thing that just came through the uh, wires about a few hours this morning as I was reading it. Um, the UN, um, artificial intelligence could destabilize the world through unemployment and war. Did you see that? This is the Center for Artificial Intelligence and Robots that the UN has just opened up. And uh, it's uh, with the headquarters in The Hague. And basically what they've been talking about is the fact that they're scared, right? They're scared that, you know, someone's going to come up with AI and take over the world. So um, I don't know. Are you, are you, are you seeing those kind of things pick up as well? A few weeks ago, uh, you know, Vladimir Putin said that the, the country that controls AI will control the world or something like that. Yeah. I think... I think what it comes down to is that nobody is going to control AI, you know? I mean, AI isn't a thing like nuclear warheads, you know, they, you know, you like a handful of countries have figured out how to, how to create nuclear, nuclear missiles. Um, AI is, is much more amorphous than that, right? It's a, it's a set of technologies and it's a, it's a, it's an it's an evolving set of technologies. It's not a it's not this static thing like I can build a nuclear weapon now I have this power and I think that's the and there's a, there's a lot of misunderstanding around that um, because of that and there's a lot of misperceptions being portrayed you know uh, by certain people like like Elon Musk and others who are saying you know per perpetuating this this fear and. Uh, you know, and I, I have great respect for Elon Musk. Obviously, he's doing some great work as a, as a, as a, uh, you know, an innovator and as an entrepreneur. And uh, you know, I, I would love to own one of his cars. <laughs> but, uh, you know, uh, and even his solar, his solar panel, you know, solar tiles for the roof. I mean, I think the ideas the guy comes up with is just amazing. But you know, I, I wrote a, I wrote an article. Um, I don't know, maybe two months ago, we did a, uh, we did a whole day on AI at MIT. TechCrunch did. And uh, and I, I was there, and I, I did a couple of uh, a couple of things, and you know I spoke to a lot of really smart people like Rodney Brooks, who's one of the guys who started uh, you know iRobot, and and you know and he he has his, he has his own uh, a new company now, and you know there, these people were saying like you know what what these guys don't understand that are first of all he says most of the people who are creating these perceptions and you know and and making these pronouncements are people who don't work in ai you know so as smart as elon musk is as smart as stephen hawking is as smart as a lot of the people who are you know creating this kind of um you know fear around this then they're not working and they don't they, his point was they don't realize how hard it is you know how hard it is to get anything done and you know and and i mean like if you if you i mean project out 20 years and then 40 years and then 100 years, there's going to be things that are going to be done differently. But the, the, the process takes a long time. And, and I, you know, one of the things that, that bugs me is we'll hear something like, oh, you know, so-and-so did something in a lab where they got 
AI to do this, you know, and I, and you think, like, well, there goes another, you know, 50 million jobs, you know, but just because you can do it in a lab, right? you know, that's one step, you know, you guys know to scale a, to take an idea, productize it, put it out in the world, scale it and make it, you know, something that can be applied over and over again and repeat it. Right. It's a huge amount of work and doesn't always work. What they did in the lab doesn't always work. And, you know, Andrew McAfee and Eric Prolston, who are a couple of MIT professors who wrote some really good books on this, sure. um, you know, they, they did an article that was, I think it was in the Harvard Business Review maybe three, four months ago. And if, if you look it up and find it, it's an excellent overview of where we are, you know. And I think, like, everybody who's, like, you know, the UN guys should read that article, you know, <laughs> because because it's like it's it's a very realistic view of what AI can do and what it can't do. And I think we have to do more education around that. And every time I write an article that kind of pushes back against that, because, I, you know, I mean, I, I, I mean, I tend to be contrary anyway, <laughs> but uh, no, you do, you do. So, but, but, uh, but, you, but, had a, you, had but you, have to, you have to present a realistic picture, and I think you know people are too often presenting this picture that it's just going to take jobs, and you know none of the stuff that you guys were talking about earlier with these other founders that it's not necessarily about that. Certainly not now. Mm -hmm. It's more about augmenting human beings than That's replacing right. human beings. That's yeah, no, we look at augmenting humanity as a big thing. Yeah. Now, hey, we're, we're doing something with our cleanup hitter guests every week. Um, and, and this is the new thing. It's called Tweet of the Week. What was the one tweet that stood out to you this week oh and, and why? You know, was, it, was, it the three, was it the three former presidents at the golf range? Was it the, I mean, what, was the one, what was the one that took you? I, you, know, you know, I have Tweet Deck open all day long, and I don't have one that sticks out in my mind right now. Um, uh, there are so many, and there are so many things that make you shake your head. And so many things that make you say, I never want to be on Twitter again. <laughs> and then there are things like, oh, this is why I'm on Twitter. <laughs> so, are you using 280 characters yet? I am not. I, I have not been given that. But, but you know, I mean, I, you know, if you, want, if you want to chat about that for a sec, um, you know, I've been on Twitter since 2008, uh, you know, wow. pretty, pretty early on. Wow. And, um, you know, we were talking to nobody, right? We're just talking to ourselves on Twitter. <laughs> yeah, back then, that was when like people were saying what bagels they had for breakfast. <laughs> now we know what to do with great. And now it's now it's like this, this thing. I, you know, as I, I was like Periscope, check out my pizza shop. No, oh yeah, yeah. what about that guy? <laughs> it, was, it was I raised book. <laughs> so uh, I I was uh, I was tweet I tweeted the other day because I was you know talking kind of uh, a few tweets about this. 280 character thing and I said um, you know back in 2009 I remember going out to dinner with friends and having to explain to them what Twitter was you know and they're like what is it and I'm like well it's this broadcast medium and it's one of many and, you know like I'm like trying to explain it to them and I you think back you know you come you come now you know um, eight years later and like who doesn't know what Twitter is you know I mean the president is all over Twitter so everybody knows what Twitter is now but I remember broadcasters, you know, like 
so do you tweet, Bill? Uh, oh, no. I don't Are you using the tweet? Are you using the tweet? So we are here with Ron Miller, enterprise reporter on TechCrunch, one of the top AI folks. Remember to pitch him hard, pitch him fast, but don't pitch him with junk. Um, you can follow him on Twitter at RON underscore Miller. And uh, hopefully we see you at the Constellations Connected Enterprise on the 24th through 27th. So we will see you there for one of the top tech conferences of the world. So, hey, thanks a lot, everyone. Thanks for being on the show. Who do we have next? Next week, Bala, on a show number, I think it's 82, is it? 82. We're, Ray, we're getting close to 200 guests on Disrupt TV. And again, thanks, Ron. He's always amazing. If either one of us are ever not uh, available, I, I know who we're going to go to as a, as a substitute co-host. Next week, Ray, it's all about education. So we're going to have Corey Snow from Harvard University. Corey is responsible for all of the enterprise software CRM deployments uh, at Harvard, and he's an amazing thought leader, and you're gonna enjoy listening uh, to Corey. We have Rachel Clemens, Chief Information Officer at Davidson College, and Rachel will talk about digital disruption and transformation in higher ed. And then we have um, another amazing Hall of Fame first ballot, Disrupt TV, Heather Clancy, Editorial Director of Green Biz Group. Heather always brings a perspective, a culmination of different emerging technologies, all in the, uh, converged space of smart uh, cities, smart buildings, and, 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 and green business. So uh, if it's Friday, it's Disrupt TV. This is where people come to share their uh, experiences with us, and we thank you for uh, watching. Hope yeah, to see you next week. Thanks, Ray. Thank you.